Warning, this podcast discusses the books in detail. It may contain spoilers. Welcome to Books and Brunch, a book club turned podcast. We're so glad you joined us. I'm Katera. And I'm Kara. Let's sit and chat and snack a while. Hi, and welcome back to Books and Brunch. I'm Katera. And I'm Kara. And we're here to talk about The Secret Book in Scone Society. It's a, I think, four-part, um, well, four-book series by Ellery Adams. But we're just going to talk about the first book. And I'm, and I'm glad you said the name because every time I try to tell someone the name of this book, I stumble over my own words. I know. It's like a tongue twister. Right. And the way that it's written, I was confused because I was like, the secret, comma, book in Scone Society. So I was like, wait, is that, what is the title exactly? It was a little. Is it a secret book society? Right. <laughs> I was confused. Yeah, I yeah. get it. But it makes more sense now that we've finished the book. It was so good, too. I'm so excited. And our snack is? I made scones because the title of our book. Mm -hmm. So I made vanilla scones with a vanilla glaze, and I made a cranberry orange scone. Mm -hmm. And I only messed up one part of the recipe (laughs) because I should have read it twice. (laughs) But they look good. They do look delicious. delicious. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited. Yes. So we'll post that recipe for everyone. Um, so we have several characters and the first character that we are introduced to, um, is Nora Pennington and she is the owner of Miracle Books. And so, um, she talks about that her preferred snack when she's reading are cinnamon twists. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. They remind me of churros when she talks about them. Yes. Yes. And so she always asks, can I eat that without putting my food down? Um, and so then a man walks into her bookstore and says that he was recommended to come see her as a bibliotherapist, which we just talked about. We'd never heard of before. I've never heard of that in my life. And, um, at the store, if there's any problems that someone is facing, they can come in and try to get like recommended titles. That's basically what bibliotherapy is. Right. So I thought that was really interesting, Um, and she talks about a lot of, like, metaphors for the books and life and how the stories transcends what we experience in our daily life. Right, and I love that she tries to pair someone, what someone's going through with a title. Yes. Um, And basically tries to feel them... Through reading, taking them outside of their own problem. Um, And she really believes that at some point you're going to come across a little nugget of wisdom that will help you with your own circumstances. And she was first introduced to this because she was in the hospital. We learn um, not like in the recent past. It wasn't like yesterday, but in the recent past. And this Icelandic nurse that was caring for her gave her stories while she was healing on the burn unit, and this is how she fell in love with books. And so we've talked about this before, about how we kind of fallen in love with books, but I just thought it would be good for us to talk about, like, how, uh, talk about it again. Right. Maybe in this 
different context about like how you came to fall in love with books or stories because she talks about even just having stories not necessarily like right um my mom was an avid reader um we would go to our main library it was called the central library library in virginia beach and it was like wonderland you walked in and it was this massive two-story building with this big glass like railed staircase and it was just I was enamored um and very quickly um I felt a little bit like Matilda like at a very young age I switched from reading the little kid books to reading like young adult novels I I think I started reading the babysitter's club I think I might have been eight Mm -hmm. and I know that that's ranged for like 12 to 15 somewhere in there but I want to I want to say that as early as fifth grade, I was at like a college reading level. And so I just it was my my haven um, at the time. You could check out 15 books every two weeks. And my mom and I would leave with our arms piled high <laughs> as many <laughs> as we could carry. Sometimes I didn't get through all of them. Sometimes I did. It just depended. Um, one of my favorite memories, though, in reading is I I love a good thunderstorm. Even now, when as an, as an adult, I I will savor a nice rainy day. Now, if it's a week straight, that's a whole nother story. But like a good thunderstorm, there's just something soothing about it. I would take a flashlight and my book and a snack, and I would go sit in my mom's car during a thunderstorm and just listen to it. You know, the raindrops hit the roof of the car. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and we haven't really talked about it on the podcast, but my husband's building this big patio and pergola out back and I'm excited for a good rainy day <laughs> to sit out there um under the rooftop and just hear the rain I um, can't wait for that <laughs> can't wait for that that's gonna be so good so yes I can't remember specifically how I necessarily fell in love with books I feel like it's just always been a part of me um, but my aunt, who used to live with my mom and I growing up, she moved out when I was in seventh grade. I think it was her eighth grade. And so um, she was she always had a book in hand. One of like her traditional Christmas presents was getting a book at Christmas that mm-hmm. she would start reading immediately. And so like I just followed suit um, and have just always, <clears throat> excuse me, loved reading. Right. Um, and so it's just, I feel like it's always been a part of me. I couldn't necessarily think of like a specific, like, and this is it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I do love when you, you mentioned Christmas, cause we try to stick with, there's a, like a, I don't know, it's a rhyme or something right. for Christmas gifts for our children. And it's something you want, something you need, something to wear and something to read. Mm-hmm. And it encourages them <clears throat> with things that they would like to read or for Valentine's Day this year they didn't have a big party at school or anything because they're learning remote and so I got them they each got a book and they each got something that you know something else that they had wanted mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I really feel like it helps steer them it makes them excited to read like mm-hmm. we are not making trips to the library mm-hmm. um, but like my oldest likes manga or manga mm-hmm. so I got him one of the books of the shows that he's watching currently. Um, one, I know he's he's watched the show and he likes it, and so I think that he would be excited to read it because he's a little trickier. Mm-hmm. Sarah will read anything. The boys have been a little harder, but 
um, I feel like that's been helpful mm-hmm. in it, but it's, it's tricky. Like mm-hmm. you want them to love reading. Um, but at the same time, like what I want them to read, like I would love for them to read classics. Um, I still have the Phantom Toll Booth for Sarah, and she has not read it, is not interested in reading it. And I'm like, <laughs> I loved this book as a kid. Or The Crooked in Times Square was one I read in elementary school, and the kids are like, that's for babies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I know one day I hope that they have the same love for reading. And if not, that's okay. Um, but so one day, hopefully, they will share the same the same passion it'll be good yes the second thing and she talks about her like so at Nora's bookstore she has all of the books of course and then she makes like um she has like a I'll say a coffee bar but it's not limited to coffee she has tea as well and she names all of her drinks after the authors I know (laughs) so I thought about I just loved that what would your drink be called Oh, I don't know. So I I was like, I'm going to purposefully think of one before. So then Oh, sm- <laughs> thanks. Thanks for putting me on the spot. So I chose the James Patterson, and it would be an Americano <laughs> coffee. And I did this because, I mean, James Patterson writes all kinds of stuff, but specifically, I, I like his Alex Cross books, and they're yes. based about, like, the he's an FBI agent working for the um fbi and that's very americano right right right. oh that's smart (laughs) thanks i had to look it up because i wasn't sure of all the um all the types of coffee and stuff stuff like that i thought about like just how i think we would be friends with nora because she like thrifts and She's like, let's hit up the thrift store. We'll hit up some yard sales. We'll mm-hmm. find some books and some milk glass and candy right. dishes and a puzzle. And she even has like keychains and stuff, just random stuff. Stuffed animals. Mm-hmm. So the man who came in and was talking to Nora, um, all of a sudden they find out was pushed onto the tracks. Um, on the railroad tracks on his way back to Miracle Books because she had told him to go to the gingerbread house, which is the bakery, which was like across, it sounds like it was like across the street on the other side of the railroad tracks. And um, he got his scone because we learn at the gingerbread house you get a custom scone. A comfort scone. Yes. And so on his way back to the bookstore to have his meeting with Nora, he, he falls or has been pushed onto the tracks. Right. And is found dead. Right. So then we learn a new character, Estella Sadler, and she is the owner of Magnolia Salon and Spa. And she is a single lady who owns the spa. And she turns, she, it, it sounds like she's like the town's most eligible bachelorette. Um, Miracle Springs is identified as an oasis or a respite that a lot of people go there to, con- like, be in, like, a vacation spot almost, right. or, like, a spa town. Like a getaway. Of. Right. It's almost <clears throat> like a like a retreat place. Um, and ironically, it's in the mountains of North Carolina. Yes. It's about, like, a half hour outside of Asheville, I think they say. Um, 
And I thought that the irony in that being that place is that I feel like books are that to me. Like that books are an oasis and a respite for me. So they find out the man that died on the the tracks, his name is Neil. And he was from a property management firm. So I like the concept. So Hester is the owner of the gingerbread house that we were talking about. And she talks about using her baking gift to kind of empathize. And then Nora has her knowledge of books. So how would you say maybe you used your gifts in that way? Um, don't, I mean, I guess I, I guess my gift could be used in some way of healing, but my first thought was in what I do in taking photos is to bring people their confidence back. I want, I want people to feel good about themselves. I want women to feel beautiful in their skin, um, and to feel like themselves again, um, I don't necessarily think that it brings comfort to someone. I guess it could, depending on in what aspect I'm photographing. But um, primarily, I think I would bring people their confidence back. Mm-hmm. For me, it like obviously what I do, being a counselor, provide. Well, I hope I provide some healing for people, but <clears throat> I try to think about like outside of that, like what. I do I mean, maybe even just using those skills for like friendships and friendships and being a good listener and those kinds of things or at least trying to um, might be one way that I would say that I've been gifted to help other people. I don't necessarily have a gift of like, you should read this book and it'll be healing. Right. <laughs> I'm like, on a good day, I might be able to re- remember the title of the book. <laughs> right. I'm like, I know I've read that. I don't really remember it, though. And I just realized you never told us what your drink would be called. Oh, yeah. So after having a moment to think, I um, my first thought was the Stephen King. <laughs> mm. And then I'm like, what's up in Maine? Could it be a tea and a maple scone? Mm. Maybe mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, instead of sugar, you could use like maple syrup. Oh, yeah. And then I you'd know. have to have like a twist. Like, I don't know. I don't know either. I just think of like cherry drizzle or something like that as like <laughs> blood or something. I don't know. Um, and then we meet our fourth character, June, who works at the Thermal Pods. And um, she, so I think of the Thermal Pods as like natural springs that they're like these natural like hot tubs. <laughs> right. It also sounds to me like they're in a building. Right. Like when they describe it. And so I wonder if it's more like, um, like, like salt pools or <laughs> oh, something. Yeah. Um. Because when they describe it, it makes me think that it's indoors. Right. Um, and so I was trying to picture it in my mind, mm-hmm. you know, what that what that looks like. Right. So. And she is the one who suggested that Neil visit Nora. Um, so the three, Hester, Nora, and June, seem to have a bond pretty quickly um, as they are all three at the sheriff's department kind of finding out information about Neil. 
And so Nora invites them back to the bookstore that night because she feels like the sheriff has wrongly called Neil's death a suicide um, so that his partners won't be investigated. So they all feel like this is like... Like jumping to conclusions. Right. How can you say it's a suicide, you know? Right. And the sheriff is a little misogynistic. He doesn't really feel like the women have any clout in what they're saying. Right. And, and so um, they decide to go back. I wish they could see my eye roll. <laughs> that sheriff. Don't they call him Sheriff Toad? Yes. Like, he just... <laughs> Women belong in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. He just is that kind of guy that you're just like, get it together, dude. This is, <laughs> we are not in the 50s or the 40s. Right. Like, I mean, I enjoy being in the kitchen, but I do not belong in the kitchen. Right. So then they all get together and they're together. And um, June asks about these cats. Or they ask June, I'm sorry, about these cats that follow her. Oh, yes. Well, they. I think they just mention it. Like, they hear all these cats and mm-hmm. what June says, excuse me, June says that she walks at night. Yes. And the cats just, just follow, follow her. <laughs> so then they review the interviews that they each had with the sheriff. And they are very suspicious of this property management firm called Pine Ridge Properties. And so um, Estella was able to overhear a conversation with Neil's partners who were drinking at the Oasis Bar, which is like the local bar that's there. I think it was part of the hotel, too. Yeah, I think so. Um, And so then she, you know, she, I picture her being this, like, she's not a floozy by any means, but but she's kind of That's a word I haven't heard in a while. (laughs) But she's like, you know, she has this. She's flirty. Yeah. She has this way about her that just she can kind of like sneak in. And so she starts a conversation with one of the partners, the older gentleman, Fenton Greer. And she got a clue. There were initials on a napkin. Oh, yes. And so all four of the ladies find a connection between Pine Ridge and the sheriff because I think the one of the people involved is like brothers or cousins with the sheriff, is mm-hmm. that right? So then the ladies decide that they're going to tell Neil's story, but that they need to gain trust in each other and tell each other's stories because it's obvious that they each kind of have secrets. Their secrets, right? Um, so Hester comes to visit Nora, and they talk about how Nora lives in the old train caboose, which I think this is so cool. It's a tiny house. Yes. Um, and so I made a note and was like, I love these, like, old buildings that are repurposed for other reasons. And I was thinking, like, if you could live in any repurposed building, what would you? Ooh, a church. Like, old oh. church with stained glass and tall ceilings. I totally had <laughs> See, I've, I struggle I've with this because thought. I really like the idea, but then I get scared because, you know, I'm also a believer of this, like, ghosts and supernatural and, like, all those How old places. Are, have? <laughs> like, all these old places have a story and they're abandoned um, for a reason. And so. <laughs> true. Uh, true. Like, I love the idea of train stations. Like, I think that they're gorgeous yes. and um, I do like that idea. I don't know if I could pick one specific type of, I think maybe maybe a library, like an old oh. library. 
Um, I know, and I. But love, then I worry about like the stories, like. Right. Well, and I love that Nora's bookshops in the old train station, mm-hmm. and that her coffee counter is the old ticket counter. Yes. I love that. Yes. And why can we can we have bookstores like that again? I know. Can I? I mean, Barnes and Noble does its job, but it's not the same. It's not. It's just not the same. Nope. So then we meet, um, the ladies start to go to Annette, who is the realtor who has kind of a relationship with Pine Ridge Properties. And they look in her office for information. So they set out on this journey to, like, find out what happened to Neil. So they tour the model house. Yes. And they're Snoopy. (laughs) Yes. And so they then look in her office for information on the, the meadows is the neighborhood yeah right um and so nora then finds a folder that has a connection to neil because it says np clients which his name was neil Parrish. right well don't they break into her filing cabinet yes so hester and nora stay with annette and talk to her some more about um the kind of stuff that seems suspicious and they continue with the tour, like you said, and notice that is that Asset, Annette is not upset about Neil's death. She's just kind of like unfazed. And this was so, sort of like every, what they've been noticing. Like when Estella saw them at the bar, like they were just like sitting there chatting as if kind of unbothered. They were right. on their phones and making calls. And right. Nothing has kind of transpired for them to. Right. And he is the bank broker. Oh, yes. Um, and the ladies decide that they're going to meet after she finishes up her meeting. Nora reflects on how she wish- wishes um, about just kind of like the recent events. Um, so the ladies come over then to prepare for Estella's date with Fenton that she has concocted and discuss how they've been lonely. They've all been lonely for friendship. Right. They're the NFG. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so so the NFG for our listeners is something we kind of dubbed ourselves and our f- immediate friend group. And at some point it was larger um, and we've had a couple of families move away, but we dubbed ourselves the NFG. We are the needy friends group. Um, and we kind <laughs> of all seemed to struggle a little bit finding our our tribe finding our group of people um you know we were all transplants at some point and so it was it was tricky to find a group of friends and so i love that these ladies have like all found each other i know i know um and then they and so estella says because they talk about how they need to tell their stories and um, Estella says that she's going to tell her story first. So, and and before she tells her story, they name each, they name the group. So their NFG is called the Secret Book and Scone Society. And because they all have secrets, they <laughs> all love books. Because I think they talk about that at some point. And the scones are just the added pleasure, right? <laughs> so Estella tells her story of her dad leaving and her mother. Ran around with a lot of men. And her mom then marries an abusive man who is shot and killed by Estella's father. And so Estella's father is in prison. Mm -hmm. Estella has kind of like reconnected with dad. 
Um, but they just talk. They're, I don't think that they're very close by any right. stretch of imagination. But um, And Nora, um, so they kind of come around her for being in that situation. And um, <clears throat> just, you know, this is how their friendship really flourishes with them just kind of surrounding right. each other, telling their stories. <clears throat> and then Nora and Hester talk, Hester talk to Bob. <laughs> The bartender. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, while Estella is on her date. So I feel like they're her wingmen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, So she's on this date with Fenton at the hotel. And they're sitting at the bar kind of watching and observing. And Bob has this, like, almost obsession with Estella. Well, he admits that he you know, has always liked her and had wanted a chance. And, you know, he's like, she comes here all the time. I talk to her all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, for sure, he's got some some feelings. He caught some feelings. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes. <clears throat> so Hester, June, and Nora sit at the bar while Estella continues on with the date. And Estella signals that they're going to leave and that they need to follow her. So <clears throat> Estella seduces Fenton um, for information, and it ends pretty badly because Fenton becomes handsy. Yes. <laughs> well, she's very flirty. She doesn't she take her top off at some point? Yes, yeah, I like, think they they go to the thermopods, right? Right, they go to those pools. And, they like break in because they're the close. Ladies, and the ladies are hiding behind the the towel cart. Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of listening and they want it. Well, they want to be able to listen and they wanted to make sure she's safe. Right. So he feels, so Fenton feels like she's a tease mm-hmm. because she's half nude and, and so she's half nude and he's like, this is not fair. Right. Not fair. Right. Um, and he gets handsy and inappropriate and I, does she hit him? I don't remember. I don't remember exactly like what they're sort of issue was but he started to get kind of loud I think too and then June kind of swoops in and goes like hey like we're closed oh, that's you gotta right. get out that's of here right. um, and and then at some point Nora is then like knocked over by a little boy <laughs> I don't remember that part like specifically but um, old Jedediah is called to check on her. Oh, this, oh they they're were in leaving. the hotel lobby. Yes, they're in the hotel lobby. And he's like on roller oh, skates or something. someone forgot their purse. That's right. At the, at the bar. And That's they go right. back for the bar. Yep. And, yep. and, and then, then she, she trips. She trips, yeah. <laughs> and so old Jedediah, who is an EMT, who, who's not old. By chance, I mean, old Jedediah sounds like this <laughs> old... Farmer man boy. who lives in the hills and <laughs> right. is a hermit. Like, that's what I picture when I was like, old Jedediah. And then he comes in and he's this very attractive EMT, EMT who she can't even form a sentence. Right. She's like, uh, uh. I, I trip. See, when I think of Jedediah, I think of, I don't know if you ever watched the, um, like, 20 and counting or whatever with oh the, yeah. yeah and yeah, one yeah. of the kids name is Jedediah. yeah <laughs> or one of the husbands Jedediah. somebody is Jedediah. In that. well they ha- they're all j names <laughs> yeah so there's jeremiah yeah there's Jedediah. Like, <laughs> yes 
I know. And now in my head, I'm like, yeah, I'm going through them. Yep. Joanne and <laughs> Ginger and all of, yes. <laughs> all of these people. Yes. So then Nora has a flashback from her accident while she is coming to from being knocked out by this little boy. <laughs> and um, it finds Jed very attractive and very tongue-tied and embarrassed. So... Then she learns that she has a customer who is one of the partners. His name is Colin Stone. So he's part of the Pine Ridge Properties group. Yes. And she suggests a book to him in the process of getting to know him. Um, because of some of his, he kind of talks around some problems that he's had. And so Nora goes then to the bank. Um, she has to close the bookstore and goes to the bank to meet with Dawson Hendricks. Because he wants to get her, he wants to see if she's approved. Right, for a loan. Right, so part of part of the ruse to get information is she says she's interested in, in buying one of in the buying houses. or building one of the homes in the Meadows community. Right. So to feed more information, she wants to get in right. and get into his office and see what that conversation looks like because they believe, the ladies believe, that the company is somehow corrupt, corrupt, and doing it in mortgage fraud or something right. like that. And so she's trying to figure out: would they approve her? Who her only asset is a bookstore. Mm-hmm. Her income is menial, mm-hmm. um, and she doesn't really own any assets. Like, how could she be? Approved she liquidated all of her money into the into book the bookstore. Store. So she has a feeling that she would be denied in a heartbeat, but she wants to see what the bank would say right? to really get a feel for, is it a corrupt, this whole process? Right. So Estella says she has some info about Jed, <laughs> the paramedic. Um, the society meets again at the Pink Lady Grill. I just love the names of these places. I know. I want to go. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Get pink milkshakes. I know. So they have dinner there, and that's where they have their meeting. But they're they also are like, maybe we shouldn't have done this out in public because we're supposed to be a secret society. <laughs> but um, she believes that. So Estella had the napkin that Fenton had, or took a picture, or something like that. And I think she just remembered them, yeah. and wrote them out. And yeah. so Nora believes that the Buford that was listed on the napkin refers to the sheriff. Mm. and June reveals that she, so June then tells her story. Right. So they do a little business, and then June talks about her story, that she's originally from New York, and that she used to work in an assisted living facility where she was fired and sued for neglect. Um, and This, this hurts my heart. I know. The situation was that she took the residents to a country fair, and one of the residents had a heart attack and died while, like, on the Ferris wheel. On the Tilt-A-Whirl. Yeah, on the Tilt-A-Whirl, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so June lost the lawsuit and lost everything. Yeah. And she has a son, and the son refuses to speak with her because of kind of her reputation now in that right. area. And so she escaped, well, ran away to North Carolina to start over, to just have a new life and... Mm-hmm sort of forget what happened. And so she they use her because she has some medical knowledge and, and those right. kinds of things. But um it did it was 
a sad story because like she I think of so this is really, this is really bad. But there's a Golden Girls episode <laughs> that Sophia becomes the quote activities director of one of the like nursing homes and she wants to take them out because they're just right. stuck there and she gets fired. I mean not that anybody died or anything, but you know, she's just trying to be do a good thing and have these people right. Go out and enjoy whatever is left of their time on this well, earth. June snuck them out. Yeah, well, that was too. <laughs> she snuck them out. Um, but I, I just picture like the awe on these little old people's faces. Like, do they are they remembering the first time they went to a fair when they were kids? Right. Are <clears throat> they remembering the first time they had cotton candy? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I can just picture. I just pictured in my head like a movie, like the flashing light, like them staring mm-hmm. out and the flashing lights on their faces, just like in awe. Mm-hmm. And she really was just trying to do good and give them an experience when they're trapped in a place that they don't want to be, but that their maybe families aren't capable of caring for them. Right. And it's just, it's sad all around. It's sad that that man died, but I bet you he died having a blast. On that tilt-a-whirl. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes I might be afraid to have a heart attack and a tilt-a-whirl. Um, but, yeah, I, she really was just trying to do good and give them an experience. Um, yeah. And it just is really sad the way it played out. And then they get on the subject of Nora's scars. And Hester and Estella reassure Nora that they don't see her scars, but they just see her. Right. Um, Nora is pretty self-conscious about the scars that she has. They're only on one side of her face. and Right, so um, she hides them with her hair. And... Right, right. And then Colin Stone stops by to inform Nora that she was approved, miraculously, right. for the loan. And she questions his involvement in Neil's death at this point because she was like, how... there's no way I could be approved for that amount. Right. Like, I think she even says, even some number-wise, that, like, the caboose was, what, like, 10 grand, and this house would be, like, 250 grand. Right. Like, for example's sake. And she's like, there's no way, no way that I could ever be approved for this. And then, um, at this point, June calls Nora early the next morning, saying that Estella has been arrested for the death of Fenton Greer. Dun, dun, dun. Right. <laughs> um, and then my question for you is, have you ever been arrested? No. <laughs> Me neither. However, oh. I was almost arrested. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> Tell. <laughs> so I was in college and... Um, I was, so I'm the younger of my friend group. I mean, still I am the younger of my friend groups. Thanks for making me feel old. <laughs> and um, so everyone had already turned 21, and I had gone to dinner with one of my friends, and he was like, well, can you, I was driving, and he had had a drink at dinner, and so he said, can you stop, stop at the liquor store? I want to pick up some things. I think it was a Thursday night. And, um... So I stopped, and he got whatever he was, and then I drove off. Well, they were having a sting of minors transporting alcohol. (laughs) And the ironic part about it was that I I had a work study, and one of the girls in my work study had just been arrested like two weeks before. 
for transporting alcohol as a minor, and she was like put on probation. And oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. So um, I was pulled over, and he was like, "Are you aware that you know you you know are you know?" He asked all those questions like, "Can I have your driver's license and everything?" Right. And he said, "Do you know why I've stopped you?" And I was like, "No, I had no idea." Right. Well, I didn't. I didn't. Right. And um, so luckily he let me go um, because. Like he, you know, asked, like, it was the scariest moment. And not that I, like, lied, but there were some things that I was like, no, officer. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know how, I was just kind of robotic. I no <laughs> And, um. Show a little cleavage. No, I did not. <laughs> just kidding. Luckily, I, I think it helped that I had, like, Rascal Flats playing and not, like, some, <laughs> you know, like, harsher music or anything like that. I wasn't, like, a bad person. <laughs> And so my friend was like, I got this. I got this. And I was like, you shut your mouth. Right. <laughs> and, um, but he asked, like, if we were related or if we were dating, I think, because, like, then it would have been like, oh, he's buying stuff for me and everything. I was like, no. And luckily the amount of stuff that he bought wasn't like I'm buying for a party. It was just, right. like, smaller a things. Or two, right. right. And so he let us go, thankfully, but I was, like, terrified that whole night that, like, he was going to come and check and see if I was drinking that night on campus. And because, I mean, our, so I went to a Catholic college, and it is sometimes, um, instead of assumption, it is called consumption for some of the partying that goes on. And so, I mean, what college doesn't party unless it's a dry campus, but... Um, so yeah, that was terrifying. And I didn't tell my mom for like three years (laughs) because I was scared. (laughs) But yeah. Well, what's she going to do or say? I mean, well, she could have taken my car away. (laughs) Oh, this is true. Um, I have never been arrested. I, um, have not even had a speeding ticket in like 16 years. (laughs) Oh, I can't say that either. But... Um, when Josh and I were dating, he lived on a road um, that there was a school on, and it was like 35 uh, miles per hour at one point. And he was getting ready to move into this house, and we were painting. And I have asthma, and like strong smells can bother me. And we were painting, and I had an asthma attack. And... I was young, like 19 maybe, and um, in my panic, I realized I didn't have an inhaler. Um, Now, granted, his house was across the street from a fire station, and now I think I would have just gone to the fire station, (laughs) but I was like, I have to get home. I have no inhaler. I can't breathe, and so I'm speeding, flying down this 35-mile-an-hour street, um, probably doing 55 and I got pulled over rightly so. And the officer that stopped me, I was told, I, you know, can't breathe. I'm struggling to breathe. And he asked me for my license and I was like, I can't breathe. And I was like, I need to get home. I need to get to my inhaler. And in my, in my despair, I picked up my purse and I dumped it out on the seat next to me to show him, like, I don't, I don't have what I need. I need to get home. And he followed me home, um, lights and sirens. And I ran in the house and my mom got me better and she came out and I came out and he made sure that I was okay. And I did not get in trouble. 
That is some luck. I was like, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how. Only God. <laughs> Seriously. Because... And a really nice police officer right. who was more concerned. Yeah. I should have just gone to the fire station. Now I know. I'm an adult. I know better now. <laughs> I also know that I have like an inhaler everywhere. I've got one next to my bed. I've got one in my camera bag. I've got one in my purse. I've got one here and there and everywhere. Mm-hmm. Just because you never know. You don't ever know. So <clears throat> then we circle back around to Nora having flashbacks. And she has another recollection of taking a toddler boy out of a fiery car and doing CPR on him. <clears throat> Nora, I'm scary. I know. Nora and June talk about what they know about the case, and Nora urges June to go to work to find out more information. Um, and then Nora and June plan on how they are going to handle all of this on their own. Um, and Nora then tells Hester. So I think, like, it happened, the phone call came really early, and then I think Nora is like, okay, I gotta get up. <laughs> and, um, and then they come together and kind of talk about it, and then they go and tell Hester about what happened. And along comes Jed into the bookstore. <laughs> Hello, and talks, Jed. Right. And talks with Nora and says that he has a dog with special needs. And this seems to be a sensitive subject for Jed. He gets kind of, not cagey, but weird. Right. He gets a little stoic and mm-hmm. doesn't really want to talk about it. And says like... I need this job, and that's right. It's very strange, but right. she's like, "Oh, okay." But he's sweet and right. sexy, and right. he comes to check on her. He wants to make sure that she's right. icing her ankle and right. keeping it up. And is this when he offers to stay at the bookstore to help her? Because she's like, "I can't just oh, go I sit down." I don't know if it's this or another time. I Me mean, neither. But she's very she's very busy. Nora all of a sudden becomes very busy at the bookstore. And she does get to get some rest at the end of the day when Hester and June um, arrive with drinks. Yum. <laughs> so um, Hester makes June a comfort scone of just like these good memories of like that recall up good memories of time with June's son and it just sends June into this like kind of joyous moment like just right comfort like moment of comfort okay then I have a question for you do you have a comfort food that you just like I you know that's a good question I like food (laughs) I mean I do too I don't know if there's anything specifically that I'm like Maybe something your mom used to make. Well, my mom, I guess my mom used to make those, um, oh, what are the, what are they called? They're like peanut butter blossom, right? Or whatever the ones, the thumbprint that you put the kiss on. Right. Those ones, I guess. And she like made that when she was here recently. I guess those might be. 
But I mean, I like all foods, so yeah, I'm not like, too yeah. picky. <laughs> My mom, um, probably for me, would be like pimento cheese. My mom used to make pimento cheese when we were little. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and um, she would make this seafood pasta salad. Mm. And it is, it's got crab meat in it, and it is so good. And I... I don't know that I've really tried to make it. I think I tried to make it once and it didn't turn out the same. You know, it's just mm-hmm. not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard because we had this conversation. Oh, I had a conversation yesterday with a client and she was like, well, I tried to bake Aaron cupcakes for his birthday and they didn't turn out. And I was like, it's so hard because baking is a science mm-hmm. like and cooking is not. Um, You really can alter so many things when you cook a meal, Mm -hmm. but when you're baking, it's got to be super specific. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't substitute many things. You know, it changes a lot. Right. Um, And so it's not the same because my mom, I do the same thing. You cook by taste. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, I used like roughly an onion and, you know, maybe a whole pepper and just salt it to taste. Well... It's not the same. Right. <laughs> and my mom doesn't make a lot of things with a recipe either. And so that makes it difficult. Well, we've talked about like to have those for like future and stuff like right. that. It's like, how do you do that? You have to cook them over and over again, you know, write it out, mm-hmm. which is time. I was just thinking one of the things my grandmother used to make um, homemade pizza. I mean, she would she'd not make her own dough. She would buy the pizza dough at the right. store. And then we would, like, I would help her make them. Aww. And so maybe that could be, like, sort of, I, if I had to think about, like, a food that, like, now, I would be like, oh, that would be nice to have. I got <laughs> it. You said you said your grandma and I uh, thought of it. When I was in preschool, um, we lived in New York, and I went to a Catholic preschool, and we got lunches there. And they used to put carrots in their mashed potatoes like they would boil carrots with oh. the potatoes so they were soft and kind of colorful um and my mom did it my grandma did it because that was a way that we would eat additional vegetables mm-hmm. um and then my mom did it my sisters do it now and I don't do it all of the time but every so mm-hmm. often I'm like throw a handful of baby carrots in there that's funny and they don't really taste any it doesn't taste any different mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it was colorful and the kids all liked it and mm-hmm. But you said that, and I was like, oh, I do remember that. That's one thing that, like, mm-hmm. from when I was in preschool. Right. Um, oh. <laughs> it makes me want ca- <laughs> mashed potatoes now. Anything, like, I think savory things sometimes can be. I, I like sweets, but I don't know that that necessarily gives me, like, comfort. That's just, right. like, a, I want a sweet right now. Right. So I think sometimes the savory things, like. Soup doesn't do it for me, but, like, I know that some people can be like, oh, soup. And right. Like, oh, It's funny because and- I I get more that way in the winter and in the fall. It's like cold weather foods mm-hmm. become comfort foods. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom used to always make, like, beef stroganoff and chili. She used to make this one dish that was... <sighs> <laughs> Y'all can see my face. I was going to say, you can see the trauma right Um, now. (laughs) It was like, it was like this, she would serve it over rice. It was like a red currant sauce. And if you guys don't know what currants are, they're like teeny tiny raisins. And so the sauce was sweet. It was, uh, I don't recommend it. 
I don't have fond memories. And she made it all the time. <laughs> so anyway, there's just something about cold <laughs> weather to me that's yeah. like comfort food. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, beef stroganoff or mashed potatoes and gravy. Or she would do like beef tips and gravy or mm-hmm. um all things that they're like carbs, 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 carbs. Seriously. <laughs> Nothing good for the waistline is a comfort food. Um, So then Hester reports that the sheriff has come into the bakery and there's one of them who really likes her. And so he says a little extra that he probably shouldn't. And um, said that there was a bottle of pills found next to Fenton. Yes. And then Jed, so Jed and Nora decide that they're going to have a date. And so he comes over for the date. And they have a glass of wine while Nora asks questions about Fenton. He does tell her that the body was moved due to, now we're going to get into some science. And right. The stuff that we love. <clears throat> the lividity. So, like, when you have, like, rigor mortis and there's liver mortis and you can tell, like, how the blood has pooled, pooled in the body. Right. And so... Um, his has pooled in the back of him and well, like was, on the bottom half, right, right? On the bottom half of like him, he but he was, was seated. found seated. And so they said that he was moved because if you're sitting, your body's not going to pool blood that way. Wait, is that right? Or did they think that he was seated because the blood pooled on the bottom half? Was he found in the pools? I think he was found by the pools, but I can't remember if he was seated or in the pool. I can't remember. I can't remember either. (laughs) But in any case, like because of the way that the body had pooled, he was. It was obvious that forensics tells us that his body had been moved. Oh, I have here. He must have been sitting when he died, not laying down. He was found laying down. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so they kind of get these like little nuggets of information. I think that's at the point where he's like, but I don't want to be involved in whatever you're trying to get at this job and their date kind of, I mean, it's a typical first date, right? That you're like, don't they sit on the porch and with their, it's it's a little awkward because she's like, she's drilling him for info. He's like, are you using me for, you know, right. for and that's information or is like, this, do you like me? Right. I don't blame him. I know. Because I like Jed. I did too. But then, I, you know, you have to be suspicious of every single character in this. Yes. So Nora attempts to visit Estella in jail um, and the officer is very, like, snide with her and is like, no, and says that Estella is mm-hmm. meeting with her attorney. So Nora's like, well, I'm going to sit here until she's available. Oh, wait. I got a book to read. Yep. <laughs> Which I was like, you go, girl, because I got a book everywhere I go. <laughs> and even if I don't, thanks, Kindle app. Right. And so she, and then she decides to use her, like, note app and makes a list of questions for the group to kind of think about. And Nora then finally gets to visit with Estella. I think it had been like, what, like three hours or something right. like that. And they talk kind of about what happened. And Nora gets her loan documents and then calls Annette to look at the houses. So she's still on this like ruse, like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to actually buy this I house. I want to look again and, and I want to, mm-hmm. right. Yes. So Nora goes back to the train station 
And Jed is there, and she realizes that she does actually have feelings for him. She does like him. Right. Um, and then after that, she, she does a lot of movement right now. So she's back at the bookstore waiting for June and Hester so that they can now break into the Meadows office. <laughs> <laughs> like but legit break into. Yeah, break in, yeah. And so, but Annette is still there, and she's arguing with someone, and they find out that it's Colin Stone that she's arguing with. Right. Well, let's, so let's preface this by saying, like, they're legit, like, B&E. Like, yes. they're going to pick a lock. Yes. They've YouTubed some things, yes. and they are going to break in, break in, and they see the cars. Still there. Still there. And when they peek through the window, they realize that there's, like, food dishes out. Like, they had been having a meal, but now they're fighting. And they're just kind of, like, watching and waiting, Mm -hmm. praying they don't get, you know, discovered. um, Because there's still more information to find out. Mm -hmm. And so they don't want to lose the opportunity. Right. So. And I think they, so I think Annette and Colin leave. Mm -hmm. And they see them kiss. Oh, yes, at his car. Yes. And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but then they successfully break in and find some information. But they can't relock the desk cabinet. So they yes. get this stuff out of the cabinet and, like, Boris got her the phone. Lookout? Who's the lookout? Because someone, they were like, you need to hoot like I an think owl. it was June. <laughs> I think June is the lookout. So yeah. they leave the window open. They've got their lookout. And yeah. then is it Annette or Nora is taking pictures? Nora is taking pictures. With her yeah. phone of documents that she comes I'm across. I'm really impressed with the technology these Seriously. ladies had. <laughs> I mean, YouTube, you can, I mean, I'm I an avid lover of the school of YouTube. If you cannot figure out why you have a leaky toilet, you can YouTube it and it will tell you how to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's just, technology is amazing. Yes. Um, my husband built this whole patio and pergola and ran all of the electrical thanks to the school of YouTube. Mm-hmm. So they are like very just crafty, let me figure this out mm-hmm. kind of girls, but she cannot figure out how to relock the cabinet, right. like the file cabinet. I think she just kind of gets like Oh, and nervous. can we discuss the photo that they find? Yes. So they go back. I think they go back to maybe Nora's or something and look at the photos. That well, they- it was in a picture frame. Do you remember? They find this picture oh, of her and um, Colin. And, um, of Annette and Colin. Oh, that's right. And they take the photo. They go to take the pic- the frame off the back of the photo. And there's another photo of the two of them intimate that looks like the still from a video. Oh, yes. Like they'd made a naughty video and she somehow was able to like screenshot it or take a still photo from that. Mm -hmm. And the ladies find it. And so they take pictures because why not blackmail? Yep. And so they go back to, I think they go back to Nora's and they look at the photos Mm -hmm. and... Doesn't she make copies for them so they yeah. can all kind of... And so then they she unlocks her coffee table, I think. I think at this point they... Yes, they're back at the bookstore and the coffee table yeah, separates think... in the middle. Yeah, and there's a key and Nora has a key and she eventually makes a key for each of the ladies and it's their bookmark. 
Oh, yes. Yeah. And so in the coffee table, though, is the storyteller by Jody Picole. Yes. Which we read yes. a few months ago. Yes. So I thought that that was great. That's in episodes five through seven. So I love that you remember what I, I wrote it wrote down specifically. Down. Selfish plug. Right. Oh, um. so good. <laughs> It, that's so a, that's a harder was, read for it is, sure. It was a harder read. But it was read. very good. But I just thought it was it was really cool, some of the books that she kind of talked about. But I just had to, I was like, side note. That's funny because I made a mental note of the same thing. I was like, oh, we read that and we did that on our podcast. Yes. Um. And so my question for you is, and, you know, obviously we don't have to tell what our secret is, but do you have any secret, like, compartments like that? Oh, no. I need one now. Um, and this I, made me realize that I'd yeah, need, like, I need a really one. good one. <laughs> I, I guess I do have a tiny compartment. Um, that So my makeup station in our bedroom, I have, I've turned it into a little vanity, um, is an old sewing table. Mm. And the doors open in the front, and there's, like, six little drawers for, like, oh, little yeah. sewing goodies, thread and needles or whatever mm-hmm. you would put in there. Mm-hmm. My kids don't know they're there. <laughs> I could... That could be my new candy stash. Who knows, right? <laughs> um, I do have those. Um, but that's funny. And it was interesting to me, like, why that book? Mm. Um, why hide it? Was it one that she just resonated with and so she want, like tucked it aside to reread a million times? That's a good question. I didn't think about, like, why that book. My guess, I think part of it might be... The storyteller. I mean, what most of the discussion questions back there on in that book were like about storytelling and passing down stories from generation to generation. So was that a little like a little connection? Yeah, of like everybody's telling their stories. I mean, maybe. I don't know that I'd compare the Holocaust to all the sort of trauma that they, I mean, they, trauma is trauma, right? And it is what it is to each person differently. But I don't think that I would compare the Holocaust to some of the traumas that these ladies. Oh, right. Yeah, absolutely. Endured. I mean, not taking away the trauma that they did endure, but, you know, maybe that it's just kind of like, right. And maybe that's why she was reading it to see someone else's worser fate than hers. Right. Um, but, um, I, so I, my jewelry on Mars have like little like secret compartment things, but I don't use them and they're not locked. That's probably another thing. Like they're, you can't lock them. They're just like, right. Kind of hidden, but I don't really use them for anything like that. Yeah. We don't have any necessarily secret compartments or anything that locks minus our closet door becomes storage for gifts and we have a lock on it. Um, and when it's not time for Christmas gifts or large birthday gifts, then it's not locked. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it is that time of year, that door gets locked and is locked <laughs> full time unless we're putting things away or taking things out right. or wrapping things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's interesting. <clears throat> like a false bottom in a drawer mm-hmm. or something. Oh, Ronnie has a book. Ironically, a book. <laughs> Ronnie is not a reader, as you've imagined from our season one episode, or season two first episode. 
Um, but he has a book that you know how they they cut out books to like put yes. like alcohol bottles in. But we've done it like um, if we've gotten like cash on the side just to kind of like so have cool. a place rather than like you know sometimes you put it like in an envelope and put it on the refrigerator or right like Josh a jar. has Josh has a hidey hole I won't name it but. Josh, when at the beginning of pandemic, we took out a large sum of cash because, you know, we didn't, no one really mm-hmm. knew what was going to happen. Yeah. And ironically, they were like, we're not accepting cash. <laughs> um, right. It's funny now. Cause I'm like, <laughs> you know, we took out all this cash, but mm-hmm. he hit it in multiple spots in the house. Um, and one of them, he was like, what? I, I, is it up here? Like, he forgot, and he was yeah, like, yeah. no one would ever know. Someone could break in the house, and they would never mm-hmm. have a clue to look mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. which I found ironic Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that he was like. So we have that, but, I mean, we don't regularly, like, keep stuff in that, but I think about that, too. I just thought about that. But that would be a good place, like, if you took a vacation mm-hmm. and wanted to, like, hide some things away, mm-hmm. um, just in case. You don't, you just don't know. I know. I get really weary of hotels and stuff like that sometimes of leaving your stuff and yeah and everything like that I get nervous when we go out of town and I put my if I'm not bringing my camera mm-hmm. I hide it mm-hmm. like I hide my whole like oh yeah I hide like I put everything in my bag and then like hide it deep in the closet if they have. right I'm <laughs> like it's just not mm-mm. right it's not worth the risk and for all of you house or housekeepers at hotels do not tell that secret right <laughs> Um, so then Nora continues to research some of the financial housing papers that she found and she decides I'm going to make an appointment with Annette. And when she, um, arrives, the sheriff is there and they discuss that there was a break in last night. Oh yes. Yeah. But it must've just been teenagers who thought that the TVs were real on the walls or something. Yes. And so on Nora's way back, to the bookstore from the nets, though, she is nearly run off the road. Yes. She's on her bike. She rides her bike everywhere. And she is followed and then run off the road. Like on a downhill. Yes. Coming down a mountain. I was going to say, it's like a narrow, like I think of those roads like in California on the mountain sides, you yes. know? Yes. Yeah, it was like skinny and she gets like run into the woods, basically. Right, so I remember her specific, I remember the author specifically saying like for Nora, like she glances to her right because she's riding on the right side of the road and that all that's beside her is down a cliff. Right. And so in a split second, she cuts across the other lane of traffic to her left And lands in, like, past the guardrail, like, Mm -hmm. there's a ditch-type space rather than off the side of a cliff. Right. Um, And so... And that's where she's found. Right, by Jed. Of course. (laughs) He's driving by and finds her unconscious on the side of the road, and she is, again, tongue-tied and just intrigued. Well, does she wake up in the back of his car, or does she wake up when he approaches her? I can't remember. I can't remember either. I want to say when he approached her, but, and she was like, oh, why, why are you here? Kind of thing. But oh, that's right. And he was getting ready to take a lake, a, a day to the lake or something. And yes. Has postponed to mm-hmm. be her knight in shining and armor. And this is when he offers to stay with her all day to make <gasps> sure she is right. okay. So he's going to be her complimentary employee for the day. Yes. 
And then the ladies come over that evening and she gives them the bookmark with the key on it that gives access to all the papers that they've hidden in the coffee table. Right. And then the ladies FaceTime with Estella and tell her what they've kind of been up to. Right. Um, Hester at this point. Oh, and she, Estella's still in jail. Yes. Yes. She's still in jail. And Hester, at this point, shares her secret that she became pregnant at 16 and has never met the child. Um, And that she loved books when she was at her aunt's house. So she was, you know, as it commonly happened, um, I I think of these women being in their, like, 40s to 60s. Right. Like, uh, randomly. Um, But this happened, you know... Not that long ago that women were kind of sent away. And so she was sent away. My, um, it's like an unwed mother's home. Right. And they're like sent away. They give birth and then they're given back to their families. Right. Girls are and their children are put out for adoption. Right. And so she was sent to her aunt's house and the aunt was not nice. Um, but the only connection that they had was that she had found like cookbooks that her aunt had had. Yes. And so she decided to just try to bake, and her aunt basically became addicted to them and demanded that she make them. And this, but this was like her reverie, and she was like, okay. And she became like 400 pounds. And (laughs) um, I think she, like, at some point says that she died of like a heart attack or something like that just because she was like so obese and whatever. But, um, but she, that's where she learned to make scones and, mm-hmm. like, make this comfort food, basically. Um, and she says that she feels guilty for taking Estella's time. So they're kind of, I, I thought of this, that, they, like, Hester was, like, chomping at the bit to tell her story. But they wanted all four of them to be together in order to tell the story. Right. And then, but she feels guilty And June and Nora promise her that they'll help her find her daughter after all of this kind of Neil Parrish stuff is done and over with. And they have dinner and try to kind of put some pieces of the mystery together. Right. Um, And then Hester says, I'm going to try to seduce the deputy, Deputy Andrews. That's the sheriff that has his eyes on her. And Nora tries to convince herself to kind of work on Jed. So Hester learns that Vanessa is the witness who saw some of what happened with Fenton. Right, and she's in that Pine Ridge group. Yes. And Nora and June plan to attend a party at the lodge to basically break into Vanessa's hotel room. Right. And see if they can find anything. So Nora is with Jed and she's like fantasizing about him. (laughs) (laughs) while they're talking and the ladies then concoct a plan for June and Jed to talk about medical stuff while Hester and Nora break into Vanessa's um, hotel room. So there's this like party at the lodge and they're all there. And I think Nora specifically invited Jed. Right. Cause they're trying to have this right conversation, but they don't find anything suspicious. And, um, all of a sudden, Jed's pager had went off and he had to leave. And um, Nora finds this kind of suspicious. She's like, but he didn't tell me that he had plans or anything right. like that. And it comes out that he and June kind of had a disagreement about their stance on some medical stuff. 
And then June finds a flight number to the Cayman Islands. Oh, yes. In, uh, what's her name? I lost it. Vanessa. Already. Vanessa. And her, like, planner, right? Her day yes. planner? Yeah, they find her planner. So pictures. Thanks, cell phones. I know. I, again, I'm really impressed. <laughs> So Nora brings Hester in June to sign the contract for the house. So again, she's continuing with like, yep, I'm going to buy the house. And um, and then at that meeting, they're like, okay, you're going to tell all now. Yes, spill the beans. <laughs> and Annette confirms that they did target people in the town and that Neil softened when they came to Miracle Springs since he was originally scheming with Vanessa. Right. He was in on the plan and then he is having a change of heart. Yes. And so, and I think before, like he was about to like confess or like say, this is not okay. Right. So Annette also reveals their plan, but realizes that she's being used because they tell her that Colin is married with children and and right that he, he there's it so when they found the flight number they found that there's two tickets one for Vanessa and, and one, one for Colin, Colin. and it, so and it's angry yes that wasn't the word I was going to use I had to pause for a second <laughs> she's angry yes. she's livid mm-hmm. and her first instinct is revenge yes because that's usually when you're that mad you're mad enough to do something about it. Yes. And so they tell her that she needs to either confess or they will tell her story to the sheriff. Right. And Colin and the, and the sheriff then walk in at that exact moment on their conversation. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and they figure out that Bob is actually a part of the scheme, too. Oh, Bob! I, I was bartender. so sad about this. I was like, man, I was duped by him, too. I know. That's usually how it goes, though, right? The the most unsuspected person. The least suspected person. So Colin and the sheriff plan to kill the women by setting that office on fire. It's the house. It's the the model house. house. Yeah. And Bob arrives just in time to convince um, him not to kill them. And so I think uh, June and Hester escape with like... Bob's help and uh yeah the ladies managed to escape but Colin catches Nora right and yanks her toward the fire and so she's like trying to so uh, so I think we skipped a little bit because um the sheriff sets the house on fire Mm -hmm. he's got a gas can the ladies are all three of the ladies are zip-tied Hands mm-hmm. are zip tied. They're in the house. Right. And they hear Bob screaming because the sheriff has set him on fire. So crazy. And so um, Hester and June are able to get out of the house. Mm-hmm. Nora's close to getting out of the house and he like pushes her in towards the stove. Yes. Where the fire had been, where he started the fire. Right. Right. Um. Yes. And so she's, like, working terribly hard to escape this right. fire because, I mean, can you imagine? She's already been in one fire and then has to be. And we don't know the details of that, but. Right. So she wakes up at the hospital and who's by her side? Oh, Jedediah. 
<laughs> and they talk about the extent of her injuries and that her PTSD response was what made them um, sedate her so much, which is why she was just waking up. Right. And Jed has been keeping watch over her because of the just, she had to be restrained. I think she was um, like t- restrained to the bed because she was having this response. Right. But her injuries are not as bad as like her They're previous minimal, injuries. minimal, right. Yeah. Deputy Andrews arrests Colin on the premises while the fire is happening. So Jed gives her kind of the 411. Right. Gives her the rundown. Estella has been released and the the feds now take over. But Bob did die in the fire. Although I do love that Hester had called Deputy Andrews and had her phone in her pocket that whole time. Yes. So he arrives on the scene when he realizes that bad things are starting. Like, he wants to jump in and save the day. And so when he hears that the sheriff is threatening to burn the house down with the women in it, he jumps into action and arrives on the property Mm -hmm. um, to arrest... um, to arrest the sheriff and Colin. Mm-hmm. And at this point, the the ladies arrive at the hospital to comfort Nora. But at this point, Nora figures out where the evidence Bob had is and wants to leave the hospital. She right. has this like ding, 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 ding. Well, he had he'd made a comment mm-hmm. um, and had quoted a book. I think it was The Hobbit, wasn't it? Yes. The Hobbit? And so she has this realization and she's like, I know, exactly I know exactly where, where this is. is. Yep. And so um, in the afterword of the book, they all go to Bob's house to find the evidence to charge the others with the murders and everything Mm -hmm. and they find a letter from bob and a usb drive with the info information that they need and so it's like they learn that um i didn't write down the specifics of how they were all charged with specific right charges but some were charged with like the fraud piece of it and they could only prove like the murders on like two of them i think vanessa was one for the murders and um, but then at this point, Nora tells her story right to the ladies and about how she caught her husband cheating. Um, and he, she had kind of figured he was cheating before, but she like caught him in the act cheating. Right. And drove. She, she did. She did find my phone and yes, found him, and found him at a house with a woman. And they were talking about plans for the future when she walked in the house. And so she has already been drinking. She had, like, got a bottle of wine and was just kind of chugging. And she, in her madness of leaving the other woman's house, hits a car, like, on the other side of the road. Right. And, um... When she comes to, she realizes the other car is on fire. fire. Yep. And she's able to help the mom escape. Mm -hmm. And then Nora like blacks out again. Mm -hmm. And when she comes to, she realizes that there was a child in the backseat and the car is now fully engulfed engulfed in flames. And so she climbs in um, to rescue this little boy using her body Mm -hmm. 
to block the fire, fire. from reaching right. him and is able to get him out and does like CPR, I think they said, until the paramedics arrive. Yes, and she called 911, and um, she brings out a pair of shoes. They're like Ugh. toddler sneakers, and she says she keeps them and that the dad had sent them so that she would never forget what happened and right not in a good way but she right. keeps as them a as reminder that your decisions can change lives and right right and uh. so hester made her a comfort scone and she the the memory that she kind of recalls up is when she first fell in love with books mm-hmm. um um and then my kind of and they, so all the ladies are meeting at the society and um, the corrupted, they find out that the corrupted bank, um, folds that they were all kind of a part of that community bank or whatever. Right. And the ladies plan to make kind of secret bags. I thought that was a really cool idea for all the employees who were obviously not part of the scheme. Right. Who um, lost their jobs in the process. Yeah. So they said they were going to make like, um, just little secret bags. Like they weren't going to say who they were from right. just of like, I think like a, a book and a gift card and a, yep. I think Hester was going to make a baked good, like cookies or something. Right. It was going to be something from each of their businesses right. basically, which I thought like was a such a and, cool yeah. idea. I loved it. Um, and the book spoiler alert ends with a lady who's entered the, um, bookstore Within they she see she has a hospital bracelet and she's like I just really need a job because oh, Hester yeah. I mean not Hester Nora had put a help wanted sign right. um because it after all of this like the town has just kind of exploded with visitors right I mean it's been it's national news right right and people are flooding in her right. business is booming and people are curious like yes. what's the draw to miracle springs and why did this right. happen right and so this lady comes in begging for a job so i'm curious now to read the other books because yes. um i want to like is this going to be their fifth like society member oh that's a good thought or like you know i'm just curious now and i will say i've never read ellery adams before she has other series too but this was one of the most fantastic books. I read this. I was like, because I had to take going. note, it was hard. But um, it was like, I want to keep going. And yes. I was like controlling myself because I already downloaded book number two because it was free <laughs> on Amazon. Of course I think you it was. did. <laughs> um, but I was like, I have to control myself. Um, but I think so. One of the best things at the back of the book, there's obviously discussion questions. And it says, one of the best things about finishing a book is discussing it with a friend or even better, a group of friends. When we share our thoughts and feelings about characters, plots, and settings, even an old book can gain fresh life. So, And then it says, so pour the coffee, pass the scones, get comfy, and use this reader's guide to help spark a fun and lively discussion. And yeah. so I just felt like that was poignant for us because what are we doing but discussing the right. book? We've got our drink and our scones and... Yep. Um, Not coffee, but tea today. So we have our tea and our tea and scones, and and so I just um, I felt like this book was so great for us to do because of our own sort of what we've made this podcast for to have a book club, right? Um, And so um, one of the questions is: Do you believe in bibliotherapy? Can you heal by reading about others in similar circumstances? 
Um, I well, we discussed like I had never heard of bibliotherapy. Me neither. Um, I my first thought is like self help books. Um, uh, but I personally am a fiction reader. I do not really enjoy typically mm-hmm. like nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just something about the escape for me in a fiction book that mm-hmm. is the draw. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. I think that reading about people in similar circumstances and how they move through adversity can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know that I've necessarily found that I've had had help in a situation for myself. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this question, too, and thinking I don't know that I've necessarily read a book purposefully, aside from like maybe a self-help book that's like, like a Christian self-help right. or something like that, that specifically is targeting, like, I think Growth of, like, Girls Stop Apologizing, like, by Rachel Hollis. Okay. Like, and, so like, those are, like, specific things that you're targeting, but right. this is more like, okay, so this book has a topic that's similar, like, okay, let's use the storyteller, that, like, you go from tragedy to, like, triumph, basically, right. by learning this story. And I don't know that I've necessarily read a book that had the same topic that maybe something I was going through in order to heal. However, I do feel that bibliotherapy, I do believe in it in that as an escape of like being in someone else's world instead of, I don't want to say mine because I don't think mine is terrible, but you know, after a long day of talking to people who've been through some terrible things to sit and read a book about something else or an adventure or hope or whatever it is, I think is therapeutic for me and heals me. And like, I can escape that thought for like, right. The amount of time that I'm reading. I think too, that it can become like self care. And so my first thought was like, I mean, like at church, they say, you know, you can't pour out from an empty cup. And so sometimes you just need to like fill your own cup with Mm -hmm. some self-care and, Mm -hmm. you know, tuck away for a little bit and read. Mm -hmm. So you can feel refreshed and fully present for Mm -hmm. whatever it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. For sure. In conclusion, I really love this book. It gets five stars from me. I would recommend it. It was great. And... You know, if you're a Prime member, these are the kind of, like, the, we got this book because it was, like, 99 cents to try it out. Right. Um, and I'm super happy for that 99 cents. So. Yes. And can I just say, thank you, Amazon, because if you want to sponsor us, that would be fantastic. I will take that. Absolutely. Um, however, <laughs> um, you can, you know, you do Prime shipping or you can do delayed mm-hmm. shipping and get a dollar or a dollar fifty or two dollars mm-hmm. sometimes as a digital credit. Which also helps with your reading oh, yes. addiction. And they go every time they go right to my Kindle account. Yep. Do I want to use my credit? Sure I do. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. So um, I would totally recommend this. Ellery Adams, you have got me stuck. This is I want more. Right. So. <laughs> I know I need to download the second one now. Yes. Um and we look forward to hearing from you guys and what you think about this book as you read a, either along or after you hear this podcast. Yes, and we'll post the recipe. Yes. Follow the recipe, unlike me. <laughs> um, and so we made two versions. We made cranberry and orange, which are not as sweet. Um, 
but they are very crumbly and delicious. And the other scone is a vanilla scone with just a powdered sugar and vanilla glaze, and that's probably my favorite. It's a little sweeter, but not like a donut. Um, and Kara said that it's kind of crumbly like a cookie slash cornbread. I said it was like a biscuit. A, I was going to say like a biscuit meets cornbread meets like a sugar cookie. Yeah. They're, I will have to make these again. Yeah. They were really good. As yummy. Um, so tell us about the next book we're going to read. So we are reading um, the, a book by Whitney Way Thor, who is... On My Big Fat Fabulous Life, and Kay and I are obsessed with her, basically. So she moved to Charlotte a while back, and I was so disappointed that I did not, you know, accidentally bump into her in public. But, you know, COVID happened, and we weren't bumping into anyone. Um, Because I really feel like the three of us could be good friends. (laughs) Absolutely. So we are going to be reading I Do It With The Lights On. And 10 more discoveries on the road to a blissfully shame-free life. So that will be our May book. um, And we look forward to seeing what Whitney has to say. Although this is a little bit older. This is about, it'll be about five years old when we read it. So it'll be interesting to see because, well, we're caught up with the season basically. So um to see kind of what her life looks like now and that kind of stuff right how it's changed and it's funny because I was just saying that I don't really do like self-help or nonfiction, um and this is nonfiction. it's kind of an autobiography for her um and so far it's interesting you to put together as a fan of the show and as a person who follows her on social media and Mm -hmm. She stays very true to herself, and in the book, yes. you really get a good feel for what her childhood looked like, mm. and the start of, you know, she suffered from an eating disorder for many years, and she would even say she still suffers from, because it's an addiction, and it's something that you mm-hmm. don't just get better from, it's something right. you're constantly, you know, dealing with, um, and so to see where that started, it was very interesting to me, um, so it'll, it, it it's good so far, and I'm excited to dig in a little bit more, and then is there a way that I can apply it to myself? And I really do think there is because I feel like the confidence that she has and continues Mm -hmm. to carry, um, even though we all deal with our own crap, whether it's depression or addiction or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. but the confidence that she carries, it's inspiring. It's almost uh, contagious. Mm -hmm. Like she feel, she just seems like the person who, because she feels good about herself, makes me want to feel good about myself. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And I think part of that is just um, when you mentioned that Rachel Hollis book, all I could think about was Pastor Stevens' book, Crash the Chatterbox. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I get out of my own head? How do I, how do I put good thoughts and repeat good thoughts to myself versus, well, I can't do this. I'm not, you know, that's, I'm, that's too big for me. That's too intimidating. Right. Rather than flipping the script and saying, oh, no, no, that's big, but I can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like her confidence makes me want to do that. <laughs> that makes any sense. <laughs> so if you have any other suggestions for us for future um, books for us to read and review, um, you can send us a DM on Instagram at Books and Brunch Podcast. Yes, or please do. You can email us at Books and Brunch Podcast at gmail.com. Um, and we do have a Facebook page. So it's just Books and Brunch Podcast. Um, just like the Instagram handle. So 
Um, We look forward to seeing you next time and um, keep snacking and chatting a while about our great books. All right. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.